Okay, cool. Yeah. So we're getting it started now. Here we uh, are. <laughs> I'm John. I'm Matt. Hello. And uh, this is our first attempt at doing podcasts, so here we go. Um, it's going to be all about movies, um, mostly movies that we like. I like R-rated movies. What about you? I don't know. Those are my favorite kinds of movies, okay, usually. Good. So tonight, this is our inaugural episode, and we're going to talk about three of what I think, and I'll get into my intros and connections on these movies, but three of what I think are the best movies of all time. Which, I mean, honestly, it's not like that's a hot take. Like, everybody loves these movies. Who loves movies? Yeah, and we uh, did this episode because we both agreed that these are some of our favorite movies of all and time. And spiritually, they're connected. But something we were talking about a second ago is... The movies we're doing, we're doing Glorious Bastards, No Country for Old Men, and There Will Be Blood. And hopefully that'll be in some clear, concise, broken up area, but it might mesh a whole bunch, so we'll just find out. Anyway. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know how it's going to go. When we poured the whiskey, I just remembered something I was thinking about earlier today that I'd never thought about with these movies outside of their obvious connections. So each movie has three distinct references and or scenes with whiskey and i want to see if you can i don't know if you can figure out what they all sure, are if you off, can guess what they off are. the top i'm going to go with inglorious bastards of course yeah the, the three glasses the big yeah. mistake sure the big three technically or, or he ordered three scotch is drinking whiskey. Rye. Scotch yeah. is whiskey. <laughs> and we're drinking what are we drinking we're drinking bourbon we're drinking oh yeah this is bourbon whatever either way so that one yes sure right yep. okay um no country for old men uh, kind of two scenes actually with no country. Yeah. Um. No. No. I don't know. Cause okay. I was gonna say when he's uh, shot in the leg. When Anton Chigurh shot in the leg, I was gonna say does he pour whiskey over the wound? But he doesn't. He gets medical supplies. So. So kind. Of, but okay. But when Llewellyn is in the hospital, this one is the least obvious. This one I really had to think about. Uh, and it's actually one reference, by the way. It's there will be blood that has two references or just scenes with it. But. Um, when Lou Ellen is in the hospital and Woody Harrelson asks what he spent all the money on. Oh. Because he says he spent all the money. And yeah, a bunch half of on... whiskey and whores yeah, and the yeah. other half just, just kind of blew, blew away. Yeah, okay. Oh, man, yeah. that's a That's a, that's a rough obscure. one. I know. And then, uh, <laughs> shit, what's the third movie we're doing? Uh, uh, blood. Yeah, there will be blood. I mean, the guy's hammered the entire movie. He, he feeds the kid, uh, um, he feeds H.W., uh, whiskey in his milk bottle. Yeah. He's hammered when he's talking to Tilford. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely hammered. Puts the, the, the linen over his face. Yeah. Um, okay, so... That's a, no, I mean, that's yeah, just that's a good. recurring... He's hammered when uh, Eli shows up at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's very true. Um, All right. That's one commonality that these movies have. Yeah. I know you have a shit ton of notes. I have, I mean, a million things. No, my about. notes are just all over the place. Um, I'm, so, I'm not sure how recently you watched both movies, or all three movies. I watched all three this week, but, I mean, sometimes I fall asleep watching any one of these movies. I, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll just put on a scene here and there. I mean, yeah. I've seen each of these movies many, many times. Well, so, I, um, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I just made notes. This okay. week, and they're kind of all over the place, but it is on a lot of things that maybe I hadn't noticed before. So um, I want to talk about why we picked these three. And I was just thinking, like, I don't know why. I, I have reasons for why, like, logistical reasons for why, but the reason they're connected. And some of these answers I know, and some hopefully will unfold as we talk. But yeah. I was just thinking about, like, the careers of these, these filmmakers. So you've got Paul Thomas Anderson, Blood. 
Inglorious Bastards, Tarantino. Anybody listening or watching this probably. You know, oh, and we're expecting that either you've already seen all these movies. Oh, yeah. We're not going to talk about. Ob- we're not going to give a synopsis. Yeah, we're just going to talk about random shit that we think yeah, of yeah, about yeah. the movies. We're starting um, completely without any uh, roadmap. Anyway, but yeah, yeah. okay. And oh, then, so real quick though. Yeah. Go watch the movies and turn this off, and then turn it back on, and then you can join the discussion. Or not. After you I seen... don't really care, honestly. Those movies came out twelve years ago, so. I'm just saying, it's, it's movies you should have seen. Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah. If you get nothing else from this. Uh, watch them but okay so filmmakers okay so Tarantino PTA and the Coens yeah and I was thinking about the fact that like okay you have the Coens who started the earliest with Blood Simple 1984 I think yeah um you know they have Blood Simple uh Raising Arizona Miller's Crossing Barton Fink I believe their fifth movie was Fargo that was kind of like their... Really that was only big, their fifth movie? Fifth or maybe sixth. Man. I'm pretty sure it was their fifth movie. Though. Okay. Was the, what was the... The Hudsucker Proxy might have come out before that. Yeah, actually. I think so. The movie with Paul Newman and Tim Robbins, which people never talk about. But anyway, well, I've never seen it, so, so I won't talk about gotcha. it. Gotcha. <laughs> so Fargo comes out in 1994 or five, maybe six even. Um, and that's kind of like the Coen's big... I mean, I'm sure, like, I mean, obviously it wasn't alive before that, but like... Their big breakout movie was that, at the Oscars and all that yeah. stuff, and it really put them on the map. Uh, and then Tarantino, obviously, 92 and 94, with Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, everybody knows that. Um, PTA, he has his first movie, Hard Eight, in 1996, mm-hmm. and then Boogie Nice is his big like breakout so movie. So they all broke out in the 90s. So they all break out in the a... 90s, but the thing is, they all break out in the 90s, and maybe kind of with the exception of the Coens, they all kind of... They end up living up to their expectations, but they don't do the obvious things. Like, Tarantino doesn't make another Pulp Fiction. He makes Jackie Brown, but that's not the exact no. same. It's not an yeah. original movie. It's stylistically, their movies follow the sure. same. But but my train of thought is you have a drop-off with Tarantino because you have Jackie Brown, which is just... It's not, it's not something that he was trying... He even infamously kind of said, like, after he made Pulp Fiction, he wasn't trying to, like do something crazy like he wanted to do an adaptation yeah <clears throat> anyway and then obviously kill bill which everybody loved but still was not it was still like a weird era for tarantino because he wasn't making these like like i don't think when kill bill came out people looked at it as like the film that like film with a capital f that they look at it as now you know what i mean yeah um blood so you have pta so magnolia comes out after uh boogie nights mm-hmm and then Punch Drunk Love comes out in 2003, I think. I and really then, need to get up on my PTA movies, because I've not seen uh, anything really? other than... Uh, yeah. So oh, you, you know what I've seen. You know what I've seen. Yeah. But I don't want to cut you off. Yeah. So anyway, you have Boogie Nights in um, 98, and then Magnolia in 2001, Punch Drunk Love. Anyway, so PTA falls off after Punch Drunk Love. Doesn't mm-hmm. make any shitty movies, but still, Punch Drunk Love is like, what the fuck? Like, he did something similar to Tarantino. He made an Adam Sandler movie after he had just made mm-hmm. what is one of the masterpieces of the 90s. It was a critically, critically acclaimed and Magnolia, Adam Sandler movie, though. That, but I'm saying, dude, is... My point is, he didn't do the, like... He wasn't... He didn't make another Boogie Nights. Sure. He took another risk. Yeah, just yeah. like Tarantino. I got you. Then the Coens, they have Fargo, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have a brother where art thou, which became a... Um, uh, what do you call it? Became a cult classic. Um, and then after that, 
And I promise this isn't going to be a whole just me going through this. But then no, uh, uh, the man who I mean we're going to talk for two hours. Yeah, like, the, the, the man who wasn't there, man. the man who wasn't there comes out. Anyway, these are all just like movies that they're fine, they're good, but they're not Fargo. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not Raising Arizona. They're not even like Miller's Crossing. Like, well, okay, yeah. Again, so, no is your brother. point that they all my kind point of is they race. all like had no. My point is they all had like this weird lull, and then in two thousand seven, mm. you have. I see. Finally, they all come back, and yeah. everybody's like, with what a, with a banger. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's why these movies are so significant. Yeah. Because you have the early career, the early careers slash early career masterpieces. Yeah. PTA hits big with his second movie. Tarantino hits big on the indie front but, with his first movie, and then really big with Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And the Coens hit, like, masterfully early career mm-hmm. masterpiece with Fargo. But, again... Raising Arizona late was 90s. no... I mean, that was a pretty popular movie, too. Yeah, yeah, Cage yeah. was real hot at the right, time. Right, but that was still like, oh, this is cutesy. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, it sure. wasn't... It was quirky. Film, no. That, like, yeah. again, film with, like, a capital F that... What, what, that, that the later movies would become. So, anyway. So, you have that. And then these movies just come out. Like, and I don't know. I guess it's just, like, some weird synchronicity. But it's like... PTA, you know, reads this book after four years of not making movies. Or he read the book while he wasn't making movies. Um, you know, it ends up adapting that into There Will Be Blood, obviously. Cohen's same story. They, they had been aware of No Country for a very long time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they read the book when it came out, which I don't know, if maybe like the 80s? Well, it's set in 1980, I, I believe. I think it came out um, the year that it's set, though. I think it came uh, out. I think it's been around for a long time. I hadn't. I haven't read them. I think I started reading that book and like didn't get too far. But um, yeah, it's I got the I got the impression it came out around the time like you said that. Yeah, like the early eighties. Yeah, that, yeah. that of set the set so it was based on. It had been sitting on the shelf, mm-hmm. and then obvi- and, and Tarantino he'd been working on Bastards since the nineties. So like these are all projects that these guys clearly. I just I think they weren't ready to make them mm-hmm. yet, and ironically, actually, kind of a, an Adam Sandler connection. Adam Sandler was going to be uh, in Inglorious Bastards. Oh, okay, he was be one of the you know obviously one of the bastards. The bastards. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> anyway, so I always connect those movies for that reason. I mean, there are the obvious connections connections between Blood and uh, No Country because they were shot in Marfa. Everybody knows all that mm-hmm. stuff, or if they don't, now they do. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. I just I always look at these films connected because there's kind of this infamous Tarantino thing where he talks about how, you know, he had been making you know Kill Bill, Death Proof, and he was happy with these movies. But finally, he sees PTA, who he really considers to be like his biggest competition. Like he's friends with Rodriguez, you know, he's friends with Catherine Bigelow, he's friends with Linklater, he's friends with a bunch of other people, but. He saw these guys as his contemporaries. He saw really PTA as his biggest sure. contemporary, like his biggest competition. Yeah. And Bastards ends up because and I know Bastards would have been great, but it is not it's not the movie it would have been had PTA not made or it is the movie it is because PTA made blood. Because Tarantino wanted to step up his game. He wanted to step up his game, exactly. And like there's a whole thing about, you know, both of them being huge film advocates, like film, film. Yeah. Um, advocates. Yeah. To, I don't uh, know about the Coens. I was going to say, did they shoot on film? I don't <clears> even know if... Uh, I'm not sure. No Country was shot on film. I, I don't know. I it's got some beautiful know. landscapes, but I don't know if it's their, their, their film shot either. Yeah, I don't know either. I've never really... like. All it's right. weird. Like, with a Coen movie, they're... 
biggest thing or like something they're so good at is uh what is it what is it like holding back what's the word i'm looking for um they don't reveal their hand they're, they're good at yeah what is the word i know there's like a very specific word for it they're good at um restraint yeah they're good at restraint like think like their scores mm-hmm. i was thinking about this earlier today too Cohen brothers. with cohen yeah with cohen movies <clears throat> soundtracks when required like lebowski great soundtrack yeah um, you haven't seen Inside Lewin Davis, but yeah, I'm sure, there's a great. I think soundtrack. it won best best original, best original score, probably. But I'm talking no, soundtrack, not even soundtrack. score. It's all like uh, original re- soundtrack recordings. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, the Coens they can put together great soundtracks when they're required, and Tarantino infamously doesn't use anybody to score his movies, but he has amazing scores. But PTA, he uses original scores that are not only just original scores; they're arguably the best original scores of all time i mean and and they're so signature his style i mean blood obviously it's one of your favorite movies like mm-hmm. it's score when it came out and movie's and, so intense and, and, and a lot can, of it has to do with that score exactly and you can yeah. accredit a lot of that to johnny greenwood the guy who scores his movies but yeah. but johnny greenwood did he do style, um He's done the last four. The, so he did Phantom Thread. Too. Yeah, he that, did Phantom I mean, Thread, which is totally romantic. It's a beautiful But it's got its little darkness, beautiful too. beautiful score. Yeah. But what I was so going to say... sinister for a reason. Right. What I was going to say about that is, yes, Johnny Greenwood did an amazing job and always does an amazing job, but PTA was also writing that movie while listening to, like, The Shining's um, mm. score and uh, 2001's score. Or I don't know if you listened to those specific scores, but he listened... To like Russian composers mm-hmm. who use scores that sound so clearly influenced Johnny Greenwood for what he would do. And Greenwood also was already listening to those guys, which I think is why PTA used them. But that movie still, despite the fact that Johnny Greenwood is an amazing composer, like it still has a stamp of the director because I mean, even at, at as early as the scripting stage, he was listening to those, you know, to those pieces of music. When you say stamp of the director, too, it's he's carrying that through four different films. So there's some yes. continuity in what he's creating. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Anyway, so that's my whole big spiel on why I think these movies are connected. Uh, yeah, I guess that's really it. What, what do you got? I think you covered just about everything, <laughs> everything? there. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm going to talk specifically no. about, like... Just the fact that they came out around the same time. I mean... Yeah. And they yeah. were all awesome movies. But like, also, not to, like, shit on anybody else's movies who came out during that time, because, like, I think these are the three top dogs for sure, but Hurt Locker, 2008. Yeah. Like, huge thing for Catherine Bigelow, who had only really made... That movie's awesome. Like, she, the movie, that was her first, to my knowledge, like, filmy, film, film, you know? Like, she had made Near Dark. Yeah. Point Break. Mm. Um, damn it, I wish I knew more of her movies. I've only Those seen Near Dark, Point I've Break, and, and Hurt Locker. I've and never Hurt seen Locker. Zero Dark 30. Yeah, yeah, it's same. But I anyway, started I mean, watching it, and then kind of checked out. It had to, it felt too much like an episode of 24 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I agree. It was wasn't feeling it. Up. But, I mean, maybe I need to give it a watch, but... Perhaps. But anyway, yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, think, it's supposed to be good. Like, she also had breakouts. There's an... Oh, Darren Aronofsky, like, The Wrestler, came out in 2008. That's an so, awesome movie. Right. So, and he was also... He had a weird hiatus time. So... Anyway, but these are still, I think, pound for pound, the directors of our time. Yeah. The ones we're always going to look back and be able to, you know, be like, holy shit, that guy knew how to make a movie. Or those guys knew how to make a movie. I hope to have a few more to come. I mean, Hollywood's been such absolute garbage right now. There's another thing 
these guys are so good, they're stepping outside of typical Hollywood convention and not making 87 sequels. And exactly. Everything's original. I mean, it, it very worst, it's an adaptation, and it's, I mean, just beautiful filmmaking and totally different than anything else we're seeing coming out these days. And I think it, that's why they stand out, too, because because yeah. they came out in the era, era of, I don't know if 2008, maybe a little bit earlier, but that's when the, the Marvel movies started getting real hot. I, it was probably like, uh, what's his name? Iron Man 2 or 3 came out around that time or something like that and yeah you know I mean that's just that started the ball rolling on all I mean what Shrek 2 or 3 was coming out around that time and all the you know the Pixar stuff the real filmmaking just kind of took a major dip so these guys kind of stepped in and were able to keep that medium going and and do it really 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 well right and I think also on that um, well I think they're so signature that you really can't watch <clears throat> no neo western like neo noir western can be made nowadays without being compared to to no country no you know i'll no, say yeah i i think also it's kind of funny i think this maybe is where tarantino stands apart because i think these movies and filmmakers all stand apart in their own ways you know but tough, I, think, yeah. I think like the coens made the neo noir western or just neo western of the next 20 to 30 years. I mean, maybe the next 100 years. Like, you cannot make a movie now that's based in Texas past 1970 that isn't going to be compared to, to their, uh, No Country for Old Men. And then um, Blood, I feel like similar thing. You could yeah, tie similar things sure. to that. Like, I don't know why, but like... I mean, it White does come House. off as a Western. Um, it's a in the sense that it's a period piece, and it is... Yeah, it falls into the beginning of the 1900s, but it really is kind of a starts off as a turn of century sort of piece. Yes, um, which is why I think like when you and the score for so for, it still had that that setting of the the old west mm-hmm. very much so. But it's although it was bringing it into the, the industrialization and right. like the and it's not a western the, uh, population booms that happened out there. But, right. Yeah, yeah, and it's not even like a, what's the what White Fang or what's the Gold Rush movie that I'm thinking of is a White Fang. White there Fang, plenty of Gold White Rush Fang, movies, White but... Fang follows the Gold Rush. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Gotcha. I'm just thinking. I don't know that many Gold Rush movies. I guess. But, I don't know. There are others. But Blood. I mean, Any... the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which still be Blood. It's like okay. totally influenced by. Really? Maybe but I should watch that. It's good. Man. You know who directed really that? Uh, Johnny Houston. All right. Yeah. Actually, funny enough, not connected to any. Well, connected, but maybe kind of boring. John uh, Daniel Plainview's speech, his dialect. Yes. The way he speaks is copied off of John Houston. Yeah, I, I saw a video about that recently. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Alright, so, um, since we started talking about Plainview, let's, um, a lot of my notes had to do with the characters. Good, good. Um, That's awesome. And, uh, so let's jump right into that. Um, yeah. And, alright, we can connect the films right now. What are the three, some of the three best villains of all time? Right. Yeah. Dude, I know. So, go. I know. Who do, what? Well, Obviously, okay. Daniel Plainview. Yeah, but some of the best villains. No, <laughs> obviously, yeah. I think Eli is the weakest character of all the movies. Well, just just stay on villains for a second. But is Plain Plainview is the hero and the villain kind of? Yeah. Well, you root for him, but right. he's also he's the a protagonist, but he's a piece of shit. Exactly. But yeah. you're also I, but he, I call him a villain. But he carries you through the movie. You know, yep. so he is technically the, the protagonist. protagonist. Sure, but he is. But he's a villain. I agree. He's the, a villain. Three, three of the best characters. Also, you can't write another villain nowadays that isn't 
These are some of the top villains of all time. So and Hans the Joker, maybe. Hans Landa, mm-hmm. Hans Landa, uh, Anton Chigurh, and Daniel Anton Chigurh, Daniel Plank. Yeah, like three of the strongest characters of all time. But There Will Be Blood stands unique in this regard. The protagonist is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could make the argument that Landa is the protagonist of. Um, yeah, well, he likes to make that argument towards yeah, the end yeah, of the film. Yeah, sure, right. Yeah. <laughs> he tries to flip the script. But yeah. he's the only one who's in every chapter of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Anton Chigurh is the most true blue villain. That's what's fucking so he's amazing. Pers- he personifies evil. But but that movie has... The thing about... Everybody mm. knows this, but No Country for Old Men, that basic structure has been made so many times. Mm-hmm. To the point that that movie knows that it's been made so many times, to the point where it subverts what your expectation is, mm-hmm. obviously, but still, it's able, the Coens are able to write a character, and Javier Bardem was able to bring to life in such a way that, again, somehow, after hundreds of, you know, good guy, bad guy movies, the bad guy of that movie is the ultimate bad guy of all time, according to, certainly me, and I would hope, I don't oh, know. Oh, Sugar? Yes! Yeah, and even, uh... Llewellyn goes as far to question whether or not he's the ultimate badass yes. to uh, to uh, Carson. Yes. Um, you know, uh, it, Carson compares him to the bubonic plague. Right. And, yeah, I mean, and Lada, he's all-time bad, all, evil. All of their reputations uh, exceed, what is it, exceed them? What am I? Precede them. Precede them. Yeah. <laughs> but their reputations are so, so, everybody in the fucking Inglorious Bastards universe knows Lada. Everybody somehow in the blood or um, no country universe knows. All right, bookmark that that thought about everybody knowing Hans Landa because I did have another topic I wanted to bring up. Good, um, good but good. we're not ready for it yet. We're still going to keep talking about characters. Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, so going back to Shigur and and this kind of plays into I guess Plainview versus Eli and Plainview being the protagonist now. What credence do you give to the idea that, metaphorically, Llewellyn and Chigurh are the same person? Uh, have you followed any of that? There, there is a lot of detail in how they, they carry themselves, and they do almost the exact same thing, but one, they're almost two sides of the same coin. And, yeah. and the coin comes into it, too. There's a lot. I just don't know if you've looked into that at all. Yeah, I've, I've heard I've, that theory. Yeah. And I didn't well, know I definitely you had, don't think... had looked into it yourself. Ah, though, but, you dude, know? I don't know. I think any time, and this isn't a cut to you, but any time I hear two sides of the same I'm coin... I'm just asking, yeah. Two sides of the same coin, or, oh, maybe it was just in their head the whole time. No, or, obviously like, not. Like, that, anything... I would hate that movie if that's what it turned out to be. Anything in that direction... Uh, no, but even when people speculate, like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe it's part of their imagine, whatever it is, like... Usually I am, like, I love subtext, but I take a lot of things in movies very literally. So I do not think that, uh, I don't think they're the same person. I think, sure, they're foils for each other. Yeah. You've got, you know, um, Shigur is constantly running toward the money, and well, slash Llewellyn, and then mm-hmm. Llewellyn is constantly running from Shigur. I mean, okay. I'm trying to think on a character level. <clears throat> what does that say about them? Because it's funny. You're right. I guess you could compare them in the sense they're both very, very quiet. Um, I mean, Lou Ellen's not like a people person. No. Uh, Tommy Lee <laughs> Jones never sees either of them? Does he? Mm, he sees Lou Ellen dead. And then he sees a vision. And he knows Lou Ellen. So he's, he doesn't he's see them better, on But film. he never sees them on screen. No. So the no, existence not on of, screen. Of, so from a logical perspective, the existence of Tommy Lee Jones' character... 
means that obviously they're different people. Because Tommy Lee Jones is, you know, he knows Llewellyn. And yes, and he, yeah, obviously they're different people. Right, but this fact that I didn't mean that they're literally the same person. Right, but yeah. okay, Llewellyn was, in, he was in Nob, and Chigurh clearly was in the military, yeah. or, you know, mm-hmm. um, so they both killed I'm people. just saying, their character traits are very similarly aligned. Yes. And that's, I think, what makes them such great uh, counterparts to each other, mm-hmm. because they're, they're so similar in so many ways, but one is good, one is evil, and... Well, Lillian's not even all. that good. I mean, Lillian's just kind of like... Yes, but you root for him as yeah, the good course, guy. He's got a nice girlfriend. Shady. He's the random guy that found the money. He's not involved in the drug game. He's not running around killing people. Yeah. You know, he's yes. just a guy that happened upon some money. Right. And everybody wants to be the guy that finds $2 million. Right. So you immediately want to be him. Yes, of course. Not want to be him, but you... you He's the one you, you want his situation to be him. your situation. Right, you latch yeah, on to So him. you want to root for that because you want him to get away with it. Right. But I want to think about other ways that they're similar. Because I think there have to be, other than I'm giving obvious ones, but like I'm thinking about like how do they treat women in the movie? Not even talking about it from like a feminist perspective, but like um, how, like like Lou Ellen is kind of a dick to Carla Jean. Yeah. He's not like a dick to her. Like you can tell they're being a little coy with each yeah, other. Yeah, they're flirting, yeah. Um so yeah, she's addicted to him too. Right, right, yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> like that's part of their relationship for mm. sure. And then beyond that, I'm trying to think like the women in the movie. Like obviously, Lou Ellen has a relationship with his mother-in-law that I'm sure many men have, and many wives that's have. That's kind of yeah, like a stereotypical significant... mother-in-law of the spouse kind yeah. of situation. But then the only Lou uh, Sugar things I can think of, or Sugar um, uh, run-ins with women or interactions with women, is the 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 lady at the uh, place where Lil lives, the trailer park supervisor. Yeah, the trailer park supervisor. <laughs> you can't give out that information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't give out no information. <laughs> so that lady. Yeah. I think uh, that's the only other woman I can really think of in the movie. Am I? Th- no, okay, there's the lady um, at the pool. Tommy Lee's wife. Tommy Lee's wife, mm-hmm. and she's yeah, that's true. And um, the sheriff's secretary as mm. well. Sure, but those are Tommy Lee's people, or characters that Tommy mm-hmm. Lee interacts with. But Llewellyn and Anton, it's just a dude fest with them. Yeah, pretty I mean, much. Llewellyn even says, just, I only want, you know, only tell me if it's any swinging dick who's walking in. Like, it's a movie, and I don't, again, I don't want to, we don't have to bring that part of it into it. I'm just thinking again about, like, maybe that is a way that they're similar. Maybe not. Um... I don't know. I had some notes. I'm looking for them, but whatever. (laughs) Okay. Um, Anything else on villains? I mean, we kind of talked about that. Londa. I mean, okay, yeah, Londa and Anton are both detectives, basically. They're both looking for something. Yeah. Um, Londa. Okay, they're both very cartoonish. All of these movies have that slight edge of cartoonishness. Uh... Blasters is so much more cartoonish. Most, and then Blood is arguably somewhere in the middle. Even though it's very realistic in some ways, it's a little in the middle. And I'll get into why in a second. All right. Um, I still think Blood is the truest to life in the sense that its story structure is years past. Yeah. And there's not, okay, yeah, Eli is a villain. There's kind of not a clear antagonist in that movie. Again, sure, Daniel is his own antagonist. Yeah. But, and I guess you could argue H.W. becomes the protagonist at the end. I would say so. You don't want, I mean, you always kind of felt bad for the kid. Like, he wasn't raised in the best Clearly. situation, and then, you know, he was used. Yeah. 
that's essentially he was being used. Yeah, but what was I getting? Oh yeah, they're cartoonish. Blah blah blah. Something about something being the truest to life. But uh, but you have very cartoony villains in No Country and in Bastards, like Londa pulling out the massive pipe. You know, like that's yes. a piece of that's a production. You know, that, that's a what am I saying? Uh, the fact that he turns down wine and asks for the what is their milk? Yes. The, like, what's, you know, can I have a glass of milk? You right. Have a great that's cartoonish farm. in yeah. its own right. And then, of course, Anton's fucking hair. That's cartoonish. Anton's <laughs> weapons are cartoonish. Yeah, but that was, it, is, it was the early signature. 80s. He's going to have a goofy haircut. That's true. And they also, I mean, but it did enough. as a 2007 yeah. movie. It, it, it was played up, you mm-hmm. know, him, for him to have that silly That was clearly haircut. a part of the yeah. whole thing. Because yeah. yeah. he does have the goofiest hair in the entire movie. <laughs> I mean, it's goofy to the point of, you know, they're like Halloween costumes based on that <laughs> character. Like, those are very... I guess Daniel Plainview, yes, you can make a Halloween costume of him, but I think Anton is the most signature-looking, and probably Wanda, too, except nobody would dress up as a Nazi for Halloween. But... But... but, but yeah, they are the probably clearest, not the best thing. In terms of cartoonishness, they are the most cartoony villains. But I still think... There is just a level of hatred that Daniel has for Eli that is just so over the top. It's which like, I fucking the thing is, he is so by okay. So to that point, his entire existence is to make enough money so he doesn't have to deal with one single person in the world or just people. People. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fact that he hates yeah. human beings so much. Mm-hmm. And extra hates Eli is right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he has a double <laughs> level of hate for Eli. Yeah. Right. Which... He uses Eli to get to his point to get to where he wants to be. That's true. And then rubs it all in his face. Which literally he, which, with the oil. Which he does literally in that scene, but he gets to well, I mean, he, you know, we know what happens in the end, but yeah, I mean that whole situation, he it it foreshadows it foreshadows drainage. Yeah, like, it does. Him rubbing his face in the in the oil. That is true. I never put that together. The fact that he's literally rubbing it in his mm-hmm, face. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, okay. Let's okay. So let's talk about Eli and Daniel being the same person. I mean, okay. See, that's more of a stretch for me. I, I don't right. see. Well, Eli physically, Eli clearly yeah, well, is the, a boy. Look, like, they're I mean, both Daniel, grifters. Yes, Dan, I've heard this isn't my original thought, but I've heard somebody put it this way. It was Mark Maron. He said that they both know what's going on. Like, Daniel knows that Eli has the people, like, the workers are going to Eli's church. It shows a bunch of scenes where you see the dudes who've been working on the well with Eli's church's little uh, emblem. You know what I'm talking about? No, I honestly never picked that up. It's like a little little white ribbon that you wear if you go to Eli's church. Eli wears it too. Does Daniel wear it after he's baptized? I don't think so. Okay. Why would he? Not much happens in the... uh, It jumps ahead pretty soon after that, Uh, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, no, because doesn't that happen before his end scenes with his brother? No. He kills his brother and then Bandy is like, you have to wash yourself in the blood of Christ. And then that's he goes, right. Okay, yeah. that's right. Okay. So right, sorry, I digress. You're no, talking no, no, about the no, emblems. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay. So Eli has the people, and Daniel has the money. Yeah. And they both, like you just said, they're both grifters. So, I think that's part of Daniel's shtick. I mean, he hates Telford. He hates his brother. Once he realizes his brother is a grifter, even though Daniel so hypocritically 
he's not even the father of his own child. Yeah. You know, so when he's he doing the out, same thing to H.W. Right, that his that brother, his brother, brother, his brother I never thought of that. But, well, I, of course I thought of it, but I never compared the two. Right? Yeah, so it's just another layer of Daniel's fucking hypocrisy. And, yeah. like, I'm trying... I don't know. It's like Daniel, as much as he hates people, he needs them. He starts out alone. He starts he's, out. He's aware that he needs people, though. Right, but it's just ironic that he starts out. Of course he is. And he's yeah. got, you know, Fletcher Hamilton, his right-hand man guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Don't you ever want to know more about some of these ancillary yes, characters? but that's what okay, I so, love about Paul so Anderson, man. So Shauna's husband. Oh, you're talking about all the old movies. Right? Yeah, yeah right. no, I, just, I forgot we're not talking no, no, about no, just playing. No, I'm just saying, like, these characters, like, like, like I want to know more about... Uh, his name he just brought his name up uh fletcher fletcher yeah, yeah i know more about what's fletcher's deal and i mean but it's so great because we just get those and we get to kind of piece together what they have to do with the movie and the thing is and, it's th- but and it makes it, it makes it more the film's more rewatchable because yes. you can pick up their little tiny details that give you just that much more information because they're such interesting characters. You want to find out more about them. And the only way you can, because you're not told, is you have to see with your own eyes by looking at, like, little details. Yes, and there are two... I heard all that. But, like, there are also two reasons why... There are two reasons why that is the case. One, the actors are fucking awesome. They live it in such... I mean, whatever. Acting is great. Um... But it's also, it's there. Like, Tarantino writes scenes and scenes and scenes. Mm-hmm. PTA writes scenes and scenes and scenes that never make it to mm-hmm. the fucking movie. And who knows how much of that stuff these characters know. Mm-hmm. Certainly Tarantino tells the, char- the actors, but mm-hmm. I don't know if PT does. I don't know. A lot of it he just puts on the page. So, okay, we were talking about the fact that Daniel, okay, so Daniel wants to live away from people. Mm-hmm. But he starts away from people. So if that really is his only source of happiness, then why the hell do anything in life? You know? Like, why do why go through the finding of... You know, why... I mean, he gets silver at the beginning. Because he's ultimately extremely ambitious. Right. He's extremely ambitious, but his ambition, he reveals halfway through the movie. I'm being rhetorical, by the way, because I don't know either. But it's like, why does he do that? I don't get it. Like, why does he... Halfway through the movie, he explains how he only wants to be alone and away from people. And if he started that way, then why couldn't he just stay that way? You know? What, money? Greed, yeah, he wanted to be, yeah, he's greedy. He wanted to be rich. Ambition and greed, I He guess. didn't want to just be a guy digging for dirt in a hole. Like, right. He wanted to be... That's where he started. Yeah. And then you notice, like, okay, so that's another running theme throughout the entire movie. First, he breaks his leg. Mm-hmm. Then... Somebody that, in his employ, dies. Right. Then only people... The only people that get hurt are people he inflicts pain on after that. Yeah. Whether they're his employees or people he's just mentally abusing. Like, uh, <laughs> Abel, you know, he just, like, completely... Remember yeah, the, the scene with sure, the daughter? The daughter. And he, like, yeah, basically, like... So yeah, that's true. And then, well, inadvertently, the guy Joe Gunda is the character's name. Fun fact: the guy who dies in the well after they've gotten to Little Boston. Yeah, remember okay, right, after right, yeah. Eli didn't bless the mm-hmm. well and all that stuff, he dies in the well also. Yeah. Um, so he, I think, he realized that in order to have some sort of success as he's grifting people, he needs to use them as pawns not only for him to be wealthy, but he doesn't want to do all the work himself. Yes. And he true. needs people to do that. And he realizes yeah. that. That's true. So, I mean... So it is greed. And, and, yeah, and if he were to do that by himself, 
he learned the hard way doing it by yourself. He broke his leg, you know, and and it would have gotten worse. And he knew that. So so that's when he started to realize how to use people. That's true. And ironically, he also ends in a hole and then the movie ends, or sorry, he starts in a hole in the ground and the movie ends in a basement underground also. It's so, a basement bowling alley. You're yeah, right. It's because basement. the butler comes downstairs right. to get into the bowling alley. Yeah, That's so right. he does end alone. I mean, he he die. Okay, he starts alone, literally, mm-hmm. and he ends up with some old butler guy who we've never seen, which means he's probably cycled through ten of these guys. You know, well, he's or also got he has... an attorney, I, I believe, when he talks to HW in the last scene between the two of them. No, uh, that's HW's interpreter, isn't it? No, he. HW asks if they can be alone and I forget the guy's name but Daniel says no this is so and so he listens to all of my affairs oh he's got a Michael Corleone move he's got a guy in Uh, the corner of the room that's funny that is one of his like uh right hand men interesting Um, a la but again it's not the thing is it's not Fletcher and Fletcher's been his It's not Fletcher. So you're saying he cycled through Fletcher. He's Fletcher's. probably yeah. cycled through yeah, yeah. a bunch of these guys, which right. means that's as close as he can get to anybody. Directors that have some of the greatest dialogue that we've ever seen on film. Can I jump in? <laughs> because I think that's true of Tarantino, and I think it's true of the Coens. Yeah. But nobody knows P.T. Anderson for his dialogue specifically. Okay. Which is part of also what makes Blood so amazing. Because it is the first... And Leave I know him out. Cut that That's fine. Yep, okay. But, to so, those characters, yep. those villains, and the best dialogue in movies, mm-hmm. you've got two scenes with Hans Landa. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Not two scenes with Hans Landa. One scene with Hans Landa, and then another great scene of dialogue with the SS uh, sergeant, or what? who's the... Um, Hellstrom is his name. Is it yeah. Hellstrom? Okay. The guy in the basement. So the basement scene. Uh-huh. So you've got the intro scene with uh, La Perdite and uh-huh. Landa, uh-huh. and I think um, the basement scene are two yes. of the greatest dialogue scenes that I've seen in movies, period. Ever, yeah. Yeah. And the Coens, but the, the dialogue in No Country isn't... Except for the gas station scene. I'm sorry, is, that is in my notes. Honestly, the gas station scene is in, in, yeah. in, and that's actually, I was watching that, and the yeah. gas station scene was the whole idea of what I thought I, because, talking about dialogue, yeah. because that is one of the greatest dialogue because, scenes of all time. And I agree, but it's kind of funny, because also, I think, between, all, well, this is just me defend, just just talking about There We Blood the whole time, but like, I, well, I'm, I'm going to leave that up, okay, because so I want to talk about Matt's favorite director is Paul Thomas Anderson, if you <laughs> but, haven't been able to tell yet. <laughs> but go ahead. But no, no I'm gonna I'm gonna leave. The, I'll leave that part out of it because I think pound for pound, I I think Tarantino and the Coens are some of the best dialogue writers. I mean, yeah. you have Aaron Sorkin and David Mamet, but we can leave them out. And I'm sure many other fine writers and directors. But no, fuck all of them. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> in the context of this conversation, yeah, I think I was brought that was a question I was gonna ask. Like, what are your favorite scenes? And I think mm-hmm. ultimately. Yes, I think out of these movies, what would you say are your favorite scenes? The ones I just mentioned. <clears throat> the ones you just mentioned. Yeah, what do you sure. think? Okay, for Bastards, what is your favorite? Probably The Basement. Okay. Um, if I may. The intro is so good and sets the movie off on such a great pace. Mm-hmm. And it's 85% 
well, I guess so is the basement in, scene, in not language. in English, yeah. yeah right. But just the fact that it has you so captivated as a scene of dialogue that you can read it and yes. gain what you've gained from it. Very I mean, true. it's just that those two scenes are so incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know if I have a favorite between the two because they're almost anchors for the film. Yes. A lot of action happens around those scenes. A lot of cool character developments and different right. um, plot developments happen around those scenes. Right. But those scenes stand alone so perfectly as their own thing and kind of anchor the movie and kind of push you in the direction that it's about to go. Shoshana's introduced in that first scene yeah. that ends with an insane amount of loudness and action. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the basement scene goes out with a big bang too, literally. So it's like... Yeah, this is another area where the Coens show restraint where Tarantino indulges. And I love indulgent Tarantino. But, but I love the high right. level of dialogue and then the just let's blow it all yes, up. Yes, right. I because agree. we want that payoff. Mm-hmm. We've created so much tension. And I'm okay with movies that create tension for the, for the just to have tension. Yes. I love being suspended and just right. being like... Which no country... It gives you the goods. It, that but Yes, Bastards. that's almost the complete opposite of mm-hmm. what Bastards does, specifically in those two scenes, but throughout the movie. And just to play to the, the director's sensibilities, too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I, So, okay, that's interesting. Because I something I was thinking about when I was thinking about these movies is the fact that you've got, <clears throat> again, three of the best dialogue writers of all time. Ethan Cohen, Joel Cohen, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And if you're thinking about a scene strictly in like uh, in like theater terms, like what is a scene? It's two people talking, disagreeing subtly about something, both you know with their own uh, uh, goals or you know means. Or excuse me, uh, yeah, their own goals in mind. Mm-hmm. In mind. Um, and Blood has that, but I think. If I'm thinking about sequences and just like cinematic moments, mm-hmm. what do you think? Because I know what my answer is, but I'm curious. What is the most like cinematic moment out of these three movies? And at a, mo- a moment quote can be a sequence that's up to there's no time limit on up it. Up to what five, you're yeah, up to ten minutes if you want. Which you won't need that amount of time. The I, most, I, I wish I kind of knew what you were going for, like what you were going <laughs> to say. Wanna, I give my answer if you want. Yeah, maybe that'll help me yeah. come up with mine because I'm sure I'll have one. I think the most, and this might be one of my favorite, just cinematic, I don't know, uh, uh, brush strokes of all time. But I think in There Will Be Blood, <laughs> the moment that, and everybody, and if you, anybody who's seen this movie, probably, you're going to know it in a couple seconds. But. The moment H.W. Uh, loses his hearing, mm-hmm. the, oh, know, yeah. the well bursts, of course. that five yeah. minutes... Yeah. And that not comes only... back to what we discussed about score, yes. about Daniel Plainview as a character. Yes. Because right. it's not just cinematic for the sake, the sake of being cinematic. Yeah. It's, it teaches you about the character. It gives you this massive set piece. It's beautiful mm-hmm. to look at. It's some of the best cinematography of all time that super wide shot of mm-hmm. the of the oil or of the fire coming up out of the ground like pound for pound i think that that is just like everything movies should be in terms mm-hmm. of just like feeling something and just and again the score comes in and it's so fucking it's what is that i one time i played that song it's called convergence by johnny green but mm-hmm. it's actually technically it's not <clears throat> part of the original score of the movie it's something that greenwood which again total testament to greenwood he made that piece of music and then it got put into the movie really 
Yeah, it's one of the only songs in the or uh, pieces of score in the whole movie that was not technically part of the original score. It's also mm-hmm. part of what got Johnny Greenwood booted from the Oscars. He didn't get a nomination because that piece of music was so prominent in the movie, and it it wasn't made technically for the movie, so he couldn't be nominated for original score because of that. So what yeah. was he using it for? It was just something that was he had because it's fucking awesome. No, 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 no. <laughs> what, what was what was he using it for before oh, that? Another movie that's called Body Song. It's like an experimental movie. It's, oh, okay. So that was so a piece Greenwood. of music that had been written. It was in another movie already, yes. and they used it for this movie. Yes. So it wasn't part of the original score. Interesting. I exactly. Not... Yeah, but but, but but what if that wasn't in that scene? That scene would have been awesome, but it never would have been what it what is. What it is, and even as like that's a, awesome. Even as a twelve-year-old when I saw that movie. I I wasn't even like a movie How shitty yet. was the song that was playing during that scene that Paul Thomas Anderson trusted this guy for four <laughs> films? What? And what and that one scene, he was like, no, this is no good. And he had to find something else the guy did for something else. I, think, I think he probably heard it and just knew. And this was also their first collaboration. Mm-hmm. So okay. <laughs> I think he probably had heard it and was like, holy shit, that needs to be in something I make. You know? I think he made just really shitty music That's for that shitty one music scene. shitty music for that one scene. That, just that one scene. That may be. But, He's like, I like you, so we're going to find something you did that works. <laughs> but, but this ain't working, um, but... yeah, I think in terms of cinematic moments and just, <laughs> like, feeling something on that level, the only other thing I can think of... Well, I want to hear your answer, and then I'll give uh, my what answer, I think the second place is. Well, that. my answer isn't one of these three movies, so... No, but We can talk about movies. it another time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Man, that's a tough one. I mean, you brought up a great it one. Could be um, the same one. No, I would say, um, maybe ah, this isn't even cinematic. This is just so pivotal to the film. Um, the entire sequence of Llewellyn going out to the the drug the. Colossal goat fuck in the desert. Yeah, yeah. From the first time he went out until he went back to get the guy water and come back and get caught, and that whole chase scene. The yeah. chase. Oh, where, oh that, that's in, a great in terms one. of some of the best suspense I've ever seen in a horrifying. Film, when he goes down the hill to the truck, yeah, and they're at the top of the, and his truck is at the top of the hill, and yes. the Mexicans show up, yeah, and he realizes that somebody found out that he's yes. there. Did you see the popping tires. Oh, and, and that's all done kind of not off camera, but like way off in the distance. And that setting's already been created. Yes. So just that off. And the fact that it was at night and then falls right into the it's sunset as dawn, he's yeah. falling it, it, right, in, right into oh. or sun, sunrise. Yeah. Uh, right as he's falling down the hill to escape. I mean, that's some of the best. So that, that that's I agree. probably my answer. For, because that's true. That build up, you don't even know what the fuck that's going to be. Because Llewellyn shows up. You know, he's going to bring that guy water. I mean, and this uh, is the first 30, 35 minutes yeah, of the movie, Yeah, it's right? still technically... Maybe 25 this is, minutes. This is before Tommy Lee Jones even makes an entrance into the movie. Yeah. Well, he did narrate the intro to the movie. Okay, but but on screen... Yeah, anyway. Um, so this is all Act 1, technically. Um, mm-hmm. The very tail end of Act 1, but still. Yeah. You don't even know what that scene's going to be. You Okay, sure. I guess nowadays we're so trained as audiences to know, like, okay... 30 minutes in. Yeah, but we were trained happen. when that movie came out. I Maybe I was just too young. I, I didn't know. And I don't know if audi- older audiences knew. But it's so unassuming. She, that mm-hmm. shot of the truck, it's just a shot of the truck. 
But the Coens put so they, much meaning to it when he looks up and you see the other truck. Then the other trucks show up, and the uh, next time they show that that hill, like the crest of the hill. Yeah. Yes, it's just horrifying. That and, was and Lou Ellen. That, that's my answer to your question. Oh, that's yeah. a oh, dude. I couldn't think of it. I, okay, well, my other answer to bring bastards into it. It's funny because I was talking to Adriana about it the other night. But like the most okay, so so much of bastards when that movie came out, I had already been a huge fan of you know everything Tarantino's done. And it's all very, like, movie-movie type stuff. And you could make the argument that Bastards is that. But certainly, I I would I think the first part of Bastards where Tarantino really is like, fuck everybody, I'm going to give you a left hook right now, is the Hugo Stiglitz entrance into the movie. Well, he's he's introduced by Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. And I made a note about that, too. Really? Because it's funny, I, I almost added it as a flaw. Like, I started making notes on things that don't make sense in the yeah. movies that I love. Yeah. And the fact that they randomly bring in Samuel L. Jackson to start narrating, yeah. like, why? They didn't have yeah. to add that narration. Right. I think it was just, like, Samuel's my boy. Yeah, it's ter- so, Tarantino like, being, again, indulgent. Yeah, and then yeah. he brings it back when they're talking about the 35 Yes, film, exactly, right? yep. So, yeah, there's no structure so to it. So it's kind of, But that movie is goofy in that way. Right. So you can accept it because you know it's Tarantino already. So there's right. some, like, expected stuff. Right. You know he's going to pull some... Uh... So, yeah, when you said uh, left swing, I mean... Or right hook or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a boxing term doesn't work. No, but, <laughs> but that, to me, is, like, also... Just when the... Fu- it's such a, like... I mean... That movie obviously rips from a bunch of different genres. It's got a little bit, bit of spaghetti western, mm-hmm. a little bit of... And Which again, is what he's always done. Right, right. I mean, his favorite director is Ennio Morricone. His favorite movie is uh, The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. So um, that's clearly there. Like, the stamp of Morricone is there when Hugo mm-hmm. Stiglitz's name pops up. And the, it's the first song, to my knowledge, in the movie that is um, anachronistic. Modern? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like not, it's past the time that the movie was came out, or mm-hmm. is based, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, uh, it's called, uh, Slaughter and it's by, um, uh, I forget who it's by, but the song is called Slaughter. Anyway, well, it starts with that, that really heavy guitar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a fucking chainsaw that comes yeah. in and yeah. it's just disgusting and beautiful and Hugo is spelled. You know, they bring that back in the basement scene. Yes. Uh-huh. For, uh, when he's flash- getting whipped yeah, for a flashback. second. Yep. It's Stiglitz's mm-hmm. fucking theme song. Yeah. And it's funny. Yes, yeah, exactly. That is, okay, one flaw. That's another character I want to know more about. Right. <laughs> one flaw with the movie is he, he doesn't die like a bitch. He dies awesomely. But. Say goodbye dies... to your Nazi balls. <laughs> yeah. It's, right. And it's yeah. so. Yeah, it's great. But, like, I think that, out, out of cinematic moments, I think the most cinematic moments of those three movies. Plain view, uh, rescuing slash kind of totally rejecting H, uh, HW. I'm sorry, can uh, you... What? The three most cinematic movement, uh, moments of each movie. Oh, rescuing slash... Okay, yeah, I got yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. So, plain view, rescuing HW, and then kind of basically turning his back well, he, on Well, I mean, he did... He's a human, so he did have feelings for the kid. Sure. He did. He showed it in other scenes, too. I agree. He does cry when he's... There's like a single tear that comes out when he... I mean, you know what I'm talking about? What, in the church scene? No, on Which the one? train. On the train. Okay. On the train. So you that's another scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's like, it's there. He's just so against his feelings. Yes. That he refuses to. Right. He ultimately, to his demise, he loses that relationship with the one person that actually loved him. Yes. So, okay. So that is pivotal, pivotal as hell. 
Um, and yeah, obviously. Okay, so that's the most cinematic moment of that movie. And I agree. I think I can't really even think. I mean, Blood or um, No Country has so many. Dude, No Country is such a good movie. I mean, I know we agree on this, obviously, but it is so disciplined in its storytelling and so fucking simple. And it's funny because the Coens are two of the best, I mean, we already talked about this, two of the best dialogue writers of all time, but that movie has so such little dialogue. And it's able, and such little score, it's able just There is no score. There's no music that comes like on until the credits There's 30 seconds, roll. right, of score the whole movie. There is none, able, right? There's a little bit in the gas station scene, and then I can't think of any others. I didn't. Very, I'll, listen, I'll listen for it. That's next time. how immersed you are in the movie. Yeah. That's how. I thought there was. No, I thought the only. And I hate the song that comes on at the end when the credits roll. Sometimes oh, I'll be watching yeah. the movie, I'll fall asleep, I'll wake up, and that song is playing, and I'm like, what is this? I haven't even looked into what it is, but I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't, probably some. Maybe uh, because Carter the movie's Burwell. so quiet that I'm just like, what is this music? Yeah, at this not point? necessary <laughs> yeah. At, at that. Yeah. Um, they could have just done a silent credit roll and I would have been fine with it. But, I anyway, agree. I, I but that's just such Sorry. a testament. In terms of just like true nuts and bolts filmmaking slash storytelling, the fact that the Coens could take something that is so basic and so... And they said this is part of the appeal of the movie then. Like the fact that it's like the pulpiest novel by um, uh, Cormac McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the most straightforward in terms of just like this is a plot. Yeah. You know? Um, take that and like it just, almost It just says like tropes. Yes, Which exactly. Is, but the whole flaw with all of Hollywood film is yes. right now, film is right, right now, is uh, it's all just tropey and hacky and yeah. just done over to, my, to the point that they're putting everything out as a sequel. They, they're just admitting it. They're not even trying to repackage things, even right. though the, everything they're doing is repackaged too, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't isn't in your face but, no yeah. if they keep going the so, way they're so going there'll be a remake so of to, no your, to your point for that to be pulpy mm-hmm. and for them to create this film out of something that is McCormick uh, uh, Cormac McCarthy's no. most pulpy <laughs> writing yeah is really awesome that they can pull something off it's totally original yes yes it's totally it's own thing yeah which is just like, which after, I mean, they are the best at writing. And we've already talked about the fact that Shigura is an amazing character. Tommy Lee Jones, which we haven't even talked about his character, but. I have no dude, this, Tommy Lee. Okay, good. Because <laughs> yeah. his character, holy shit. Because that, okay, here's a good breakdown. So when I think of these three movies, I think, um, I think, uh, how to break it down. Okay, I think No Country is about its theme. Clearly, its title is its theme. You know, in so many words. Bastards is kind of about the audience, but it's kind of also totally just about Tarantino, you know? I think. When I watch the movie, I think it's about Tarantino and watching him do what he does best. And and growing up as a filmmaker, which is great. And then Blood, it's just about Daniel Plainview. Daniel Plainview is what their Blood is about. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, what they're about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, what, like a, that's to me what they're about. Like, it's like, like a Ron-On thing. Like, what is this? No, movie's sure. about nothing. But, but, but <laughs> movies can be, in my mind, about nothing, and still I love them. So oh, I like Seinfeld. It's about nothing. Right. <laughs> but, like, Blood is about Daniel. Yeah. Country is about Tom, the theme. It's, the it's theme. entirely... Tommy Lee Jones is our proxy. That's what we were talking about, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. It's entirely about Tommy Lee Jones' understanding, or, I'm sorry, Sheriff... Uh, Ed Tom Bell. Ed Tom. Yeah. So it's Ed Tom's understanding of culture in America as he understands it as a sheriff throughout his entire life. 
he reflects at the very beginning on uh, back in the old days, so and so sheriff in this town didn't even wear a gun, gun. didn't have need for it, kind of thing. And he he kind of came from that old school. He's from that cloth. Yes. And he's seen things change. And now there's this situation going on with Llewellyn and the gangsters he got himself mixed up with. And he doesn't even know how to process it. All he knows is that Llewellyn's kind of like a good old boy too. Right. So he wants to kind of just make sure his... And he's a guy that he knows from his town, so he just wants to make sure Llewellyn's okay. Right. And, and, and that's and, the whole... The entire film revolves around his narration and his viewpoint. Yeah. It's all from his viewpoint. But the most interesting thing about that movie is ultimately Tommy Lee Jones is wrong. And the reason for that, and the, one of the most... Well, what is he wrong about? One of the most thematically important scenes in the movie is at the very end, after Lou Allen's dead. Yeah. Maybe Sugar has gotten away, I forget. Tommy Lee Jones visits that old guy who's a okay. cousin, no. distant relative no. in some way. What is No, he? I just realized this. What? It's his father. That's not his father. You sure? I don't think so. Are you think sure? His, no, his dad's dead. His dad's dead. Are you sure? At the very end, Tommy Lee Jones says... That guy's his, not his dad. At the very in the very end of the movie, Tommy Lee Jones says his dad had been dead since he was like thirty. Shit. Okay. Because <laughs> I was like, I, and he says, and he says, in many ways, I'm the older man because I've outlived my. You're dad. right. Oh God damn it! That's so, so important so to that, that scene guy... too. I'm sorry. I saw the part where, where he said that his wife had been writing him, and I was like, oh, mm. it's, he, his wife is writing his father. I think he... it's like his father's cousin. Maybe right, we'll, cut that, know he... we'll, we'll cut that part. Yeah. Out. <laughs> so anyway, he goes. So the most interesting. It's, interesting scene of the movie to, like thematically like not most interesting in terms of like suspense and all, yeah, all the other genre shit mm-hmm. but like thematically the most interesting scene of the movie is where Tommy Lee Jones goes to that guy and the guy says it's not all waiting on you like the world has always been fucked. it's always been this way and then he tells right. a story about somebody from back way back when dying in a merciless way yeah. and then his wife burying him just in the uh, I wish we had, we should have saved some quotes to tie in oh, I've got a co- I've got quote questions do, for you do you have the quote when oh man what's what maybe he says something in that discussion he says something that's real like just middle of nowhere Texan saying I don't know. I can't remember what it was. We've got a Texan here. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was it was Howdy, like, y'all. How old are you? Unless you're 97 years old. Right. Yeah. He just says it ain't all. The most resonant line of that movie to me is it ain't all waiting on you. Yeah. Like exactly. again, thematically. Yeah. So that's okay. So anyway, so that's what that movie is about is the theme, and then blood mm-hmm. is about. I already talked about that. It's about plain view. And then, yeah, I mean, I think... So you're saying one movie's about theme, one movie's about a character, and the other movie's all about the director. The director and or audience <laughs> enjoyment. Not, and that's not to take away, because no, yeah, I love Wanda, yeah. I love Shauna, I love Aldo, yeah. I love Stiglitz, well, great I love characters all in that of movie, the yeah. side characters, a lot. Uh, other than the little man, he's kind of lame. But. He's kind of, yeah. <laughs> so, some characters are shoehorned in. Yes. So, so I will say, to that point, that... And I think you already said it. There will be blood in No Country for Old Men are far superior to. No, the okay, third. no, no, no. That's funny because you mentioned that as, before. As yeah. a film, like as a an art piece, as a capital F but, film, yes. But but as a cinematic experience, No I Country still... for Old Men, or I'm sorry, uh, Glorious Bastards is without a doubt the most funny, or it's not the, most funny, the most watchable. Movie, I would the say most scene, fun movie. If I have to watch a scene from any of them, just an individual scene, like as much as I cherish. Mm-hmm. 
the movies that were made here in Texas, I think Bastards has some of the best scenes yeah. of all time. Well, the other ones, you just you have to watch the whole movie almost. Yes. Or, or yes, a scene is going to be a 36-minute scene to right. get the scene. Yeah. Where Bastards really is, you can, you can do that intro scene and just sit back and enjoy that. Right. Right. Or, and that's like <laughs> maybe a 20-minute scene. Oh, dude. Almost, I would say at least once every month, I watch the last scene of that movie, of Bastards. That's the scene I watch the very least. I've seen really? it a bunch because I've seen the movie a bunch. But yeah. Yeah. And I will say that about all the movies, all three of these movies, because like I said at the beginning, yeah. a lot of times I watch these movies just to fall asleep. Like, I've seen yeah. them so many times. I enjoy them so much. Right. And I just like to put them on and, you know. So I end up not I, watching the end. The end, yeah. yeah. No, so something else about these movies. I, I know what you mean with that. Something else about these movies. Um, okay. We haven't talked about Aldo the Apache at all. So. All right. So, all right. <laughs> so if you want to go into that, because I, I have a whole no, thing I have, that, I have but... Aldo as a topic, and there's a reason for it. Yeah. Uh, but the topic is the funniest character. Okay. 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 Oh, that's and a great And so one. why yeah. don't you... We'll save Aldo for last. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what do you think about... Um, no Country for Old Men is not a funny movie. Who's the funny character in the movie? And I don't look in my notes. Who is it? I can't even see him. But you can. You know it, and you I know some of his lines. I mean, I think it's the um, uh, like slapstick funny is the deputy, the sheriff deputy. And what's his name? I don't know. Wendell. Wendell. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I do. I, I know, yeah. <laughs> so Wendell's the only funny character. Yeah. in The entire movie. It's not a funny movie. Right. Maybe. But, no. 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 I think. Uh, 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 Carla Jean's mom is funny too, like intentionally written to be funny. But I, Wendell yes. is the funniest. But she's written to be funny. I guess the same way Wendell <laughs> is short. But at time, she's funny on her own. Yeah, Wendell's funny because he because reacts to Tommy Lee Jones' reactions to <laughs> oh Sherry, oh that's aggravating. He's the most like Cohen brothersy. Yeah, like when they do like. Um, what not not slapstick? What's the word I'm looking? Like screwball shit. Mm-hmm. Like Wendell is the most true Cohen-y screwball. Oh, character. we just missed him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sheriff. Yeah, which is only like four lines, maybe. It's not like, much. Yeah. Oh, and there's damn, not much. There's not the much. Dog. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to do him first. Because, yeah. Yeah. It's the least funny movie. Uh, <laughs> who's the funny character in uh, in uh, in Glor- uh, I mean. There will be blood. Oh, blood? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because bastards... You can Wait, maybe we basic. should retract. Maybe there will be blood is not funny at all either. There, yeah, think about but, it. but no, because Daniel is the funniest character by... I mean, Daniel is the funniest is, character by is, far. Is Daniel funny because of the last scene? Daniel's funny because of the whole movie, man. Daniel Day-Lewis just lives that. So, And there's nothing I can say that hasn't been said about this movie. But like, I think overall, like Paul Thomas Anderson equated... When being asked about this, he's like, "Really? Okay, sure. You can look at the movie and be like, ooh, it's a, it's a, you know, a take on capitalism and like the growth of industrialism and you know the oil industry in 2005, whatever. You could say all that, but really, ultimately, the best parts of that movie are boiled down to when you can akin it to something like Tom and Jerry or Spy versus Spy, like Eli yeah, and Daniel too. going back and forth and." Th- those looks that they share, you know, one of the funniest scenes of all time is when Eli, um, first, okay, the scene with Eli and his dad and Daniel and HW when they're trying to buy the land for quail prices. So, okay. And Daniel gives Eli that stare. And yes. you just know what's, <laughs> what that is so well. Yeah. He just fucking right. hates him automatically. So, so we're talking about, like, 
ultra subtle humor. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, from a slapstick perspective. And this isn't... There is none. To the cut movie's down. not funny either. No, 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 not at all. We have two I mean, movies that had it. All right, so, yeah. <laughs> if we if we start ranking, like, we already talked about one thing. Here's another. Uh, what's the funniest movie? I, Inglourious Bastards, Bastards wins for that, too. By obviously. far, yeah. And it's hard to even rank the other two, but I, I don't know. It's actually not, because No Country for Old Men is clearly funnier than the Yes. Other. All right. So I had that wrong. I, I went in the, the wrong, You're the opposite direction. No Country is funnier than Blood. Because of who? Because I think Blood because is funnier. <laughs> I don't think Blood's funny at all. Really? No. But why? Because Daniel is so who he is. It's too... No, it's too subtle. It's like... Like, where's the joke? Okay, sure. It's not written for jokes. No. like. But that's a testament to Daniel Lewis's performance. Because if you read that script, nobody would ever think that's funny. But I, maybe okay, maybe it's also me giggling like a schoolgirl or boy. But I, I take his I take his performance seriously though, and so do I. And yeah. I, that's not to devalue the movie. I think part of it is so also just I can't take myself out of that seriousness of the film. Yes, I get that him. It's just like it's mean. If that's funny, it's to you then it's funny but like he's yeah. just mean he's, he's not very, funny like yeah yeah he's he's condescending he's like awful to everybody true like, he's I, don't get me wrong he's one of my favorite characters but he's mm-hmm. just a bad person like, oh I, totally yeah. yeah but Eli's a bad person so seeing Eli get the shit kicked out of him <laughs> so, you, so what you're saying is it's funny how weak Eli is but, and just seeing him get clowned the whole time but also the fact that Daniel because that is I, I will say that's funny but it's still cringy but Daniel is so so it's not like funny it's not Daniel is so comical. committed Daniel's so committed to being a piece of shit that watching that scene with him and uh, uh, Abel is that the father's Abel's name? the father yeah, yeah watching that scene when Mary Sunday when he says your dad's not gonna beat you anymore right yeah like that to me okay I'm not laughing out loud but the audacity of a character he's audacious he's not that funny though is, Still, but that, to me, that to me is funny that audacious that audacity is funny to me yeah cause you go like <laughs> I'm like oh my gosh oh making shit. somebody else look like an asshole right yeah. and also fucking Abel's beating his daughter like that's not yeah cool. exactly so Daniel but, in that yeah. moment has the moral high ground yeah so I it's think that's not, part like, of it's not. It's still not funny though. it's oh, still no, cringy no. cause you know Abel's beating his daughter. That's still like it's a hard. But not anymore because it's Daniel, a tragic situation, though. But Daniel isn't gonna let him do that anymore. So I think it's fine. So it's heroic, but it's not funny. It's not but funny. it is. That funny. movie's it's, not funny. Okay. <laughs> I still think it's really funny, and I, I still think, uh, and it, it's not a hill I'll die on because I agree. It's not like anybody thinks one of the top ten comedies, There Will Be Blood, is in the top. No, obviously. No, it's just part of it is also. As, well, okay, so oh, what? can you pinpoint like a scene? Get the one I just said. Right, fine. Uh, the last one, where Daniel's talking about the other about, one you also said. Yeah, where Daniel's talking about drainage. I think. Uh, that, well, that's where I was gonna go when you first brought up Daniel as being the funniest one because I immediately went to I drink your milkshake and that's like an iconic thing. But my favorite thing about that is drainage. I don't even think yeah. I drink your milkshakes is good. No. I like it when he drops the drainage line. Yeah, yeah. Drainage. Yeah. Like that's the. Yeah, I think I Drink Your Milkshake has been too, like, memefied. But exactly. I also think, okay, but other scenes, and I'll I'll cap this in about ten seconds. No, but, go with every Daniel Plainview being but, funny but scene Daniel, that I disagree when he, with. When he's talking to Paul Sunday, and he's like, 
If I get all the way out there to Little Boston and I don't find my oil, I'm gonna want yeah, uh, we're like more we're than gonna just come my for money you. back. Yeah, like that isn't a okay. That's it's not funny line. though. It's that's just, just a great line of dialogue. It's great dialogue. It's, you it's know, witty. It's like you get. That's true. It's not yeah. funny. I disagree with the funny. I think the movie is not a comedy with a capital K, but it's still fucking funny to me. I I just think the character is so mammoth that it can't help but be funny. All right. Go ahead. Two Move things. It. Yeah. To wrap this up, mm-hmm. we were saving Aldo for last. Yeah. So we have Aldo, but we also have what is the funniest scene in Glorious Bastards? Because it's clearly the funniest movie. Oh, man. That's so, so hard. Is he in the funniest scene? Oh, man. Is he the funniest character because of the funniest scene? Or is there a funnier scene that he's not in? And I, I don't think, think there is. <laughs> the obvious... I'm pretty sure he has everything yeah, to do with all of this. I think the obvious but I, funniest... if you can think of another thing, I, I, I think that'd be funny to bring up. Do you want to give your answers first? Because I know what mine are off the bat. Um, yeah. Uh, them trying to be Italian. Yeah. That's the most that's obvious. The most, it's super yeah. obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, it, I'm trying to think about anything that tops that. <laughs> I think Stiglitz's uh, introduction is one of the funniest... Because he's just stabbing people yes. in the face. Yeah, totally. All right, I did, that is almost slapsticky. Oh, yeah. it's insane. It, well, you, it, is, it is slapsticky. And it's and you he, also he as puts an audience. A, well, okay, so he puts a pillow over the guy's face. Right. And you think he's gonna and this is what all he's gonna suffocate him. Right. You think he's gonna suffocate him, and then he starts right. stabbing the right. pillow in the face, and a bunch of feathers start puffing out. And then, the visual. I mean, that's pretty okay. funny. The fact that he wakes the guy up, he like gives him like little. Well, he makes. He doesn't first. punch him in the face. He like wakes the one guy up before he puts his hand. I mean, that's disgusting, but it is classic. Yeah. Perfect Tarantino because he sets it up in such a way, and this is another thing I was talking about with Adriana the other day. Like, he gives you inherently everybody knows if they hear the word Nazi, okay, I want them to die, especially in a movie, uh, or in real life, whatever it is. But you know, Nazi. Uh, you want them to die. But also, I, I think that's probably enough for Bastards because I feel like Bastards doesn't do... Where, like, Django Unchained does, like, a really great job of showing you... And, again, everybody knows that, like, slavery in America specifically was, like, the fucking worst version of slavery historically. But you know that, and then... And I won't diverge too much, but in Django, right before one of the most cathartic revenge scenes... You have, you know, Django going to kill the Brittle Brothers, mm-hmm. and they're on Don Johnson's land. Uh, Big Daddy. That's uh, almost the beginning of Act 2, I uh-huh. guess, for that movie. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. Yeah, exactly. He's so, already gone through the... He and Schultz have gotten there. Uh, it's, let's not talk about that. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Anyway, but, like, okay, th- like, Tarantino does something really great. He shows you um, the horrible thing. He, he shows the character where they already are, and then he shows them being about to get revenge. Well, mm-hmm. it's a horribly... Uh, structured sentence, the one I just said. But he shows them about to get revenge. You can cut anything out. It doesn't matter. He shows them about to get revenge, and then he cuts back to the thing they want revenge on. And he gets you emotionally. You're like, oh, fuck them. Like, you already yeah. know like you know, slavery slavery is horrible. But seeing it but exhibited on screen and, and yeah. seeing Kerry Washington getting whipped, you're just like, oh, the, you like, you fucking hate the Brittle Brothers. Yeah. And most movies, they're like, okay, we hate the Brittle, Brittle Brothers at the beginning of Act 2, or, you know, what, whatever, middle of Act 2, somewhere in Act 2. Um, and then you don't, they don't get their comeuppance until the end or, you know, middle of Act 3. All right, Tyler, or end of Act 2. But, okay, but, okay, sorry, yeah. So I was just going to say something about that Tarantino does that's amazing, is he gives you that emotional rush of hating the villain, 
and then the killing of the, the yeah. villain, which is incredible. He actually doesn't do that so much in Bastards with the killing of the Gestapo guys when uh, Stiglitz does it. Well, but you still have that because no, but he makes because those... because Londa is is a proxy for all of the Nazis in the movie. And we've already been so introduced to Londa, and Hitler's been introduced too, and yes. the Bastards have been introduced too, right. and Aldo's monologue has been introduced too. Right. So you know where that movie's going. Exactly. We're killing these Nazis, and fucks. it's okay. And, and, and it was, it's, it's always going to be okay. For, but, yeah. But yeah, I agree. So where I was going with that is. Um, is uh, what most comedic scene. Yeah, so Stiglitz killing them. Like, that is Tarantino at his best in the sense that <clears throat> it's not just dialogue funny, which is also awesome, which he's also great at, but the violence funny, which you can obviously... It also, there's an umbilical from Reservoir Dogs all the way to Bastards. With also, that. Stiglitz was a Nazi, mm-hmm. and it absolves him of his crimes because he became a bastard yes exactly which is why i think i still think which makes him a great character yeah because he with so little uh explanation of his character he's not a main character in the movie he's like a fucking like off to the side dies quickly and you get his whole character arc Mm -hmm. within a very short period of scenes like a very in like three I mean he's really only in like three he's scenes in like three he's scenes. like yeah, yeah. but, but uh, he's pretty good in the basement too oh I love him in the basement because you know he's a badass right and that's already been like written in like you already know he's the best guy to be down there because he's gonna fuck some Nazis he's gonna up. die and he doesn't you know care. he's gonna fuck some Nazis up yeah. so like right if you wanted anybody else with that goofy ass British guy yeah who is a total fuck up and ruined everything that's true yeah and he also said it's kind of Stiglitz funny. is the best guy that could have been down there. And he's also, but it, it's funny because Stiglitz is also the one who, who Archie, Michael Fassbender isn't. The, he's the least sure on because he says yeah. he's yep. not exactly the loquacious type. <laughs> Which kind of brings us and, immediately and Aldo, to Aldo. Back to Aldo. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're looking for? Loquacious type. type. Yeah, doing his snuff. Like uh-huh. Aldo is such a fucking incredible character. And all right, also, so should we just? Go ahead, and then I'll go back to wrapping this up. Yeah, well, I'm going to connect Aldo to 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 you know uh, two other characters from these movies. So the most infamous: you have Aldo, you have Daniel, and you have Anton, and they are all the most true to their missions throughout the whole movie. Anton, oh, I like this. Anton I don't have this is my, yeah, he is an unstoppable yes. uh, force. Like yeah. Anton. He is going after one thing, and if anybody even fucks with, um, it, it, not only is he like hey, he's not a team player. He and he's no. not a greedy character. He is just he's, he brings on teams to like. Oh yeah, you gave me all the information I need. Give me, no, no, he he says, let me see that. Oh, the right. guy hands him his gun and then he shoots him with his right. own gun. I mean, like, also the guy who is like, step out of the car, sir. Yes, <laughs> he's, he's like, using a cattle killer and he kills humans like cattle in the movie. Yeah. He's very no offense to any vegans out there, but yeah, it's like come, he kills people skin. the way <laughs> we kill livestock. Like he yeah. treats them like shit. Anyway, uh, everybody knows that he treats them like shit. But yeah, the fact that he treats his murders in such a in such a just like uh, uh, disconnected way. So anyway, um, you have Anton who is just completely unstoppable and he will have to die to quit his mission and we see that in the movie 
Aldo? Uh, 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 to that point, um, Llewellyn almost kills him. I mean, yeah. that shot to the... He, he took a shotgun shot to the middle of the thigh. To the femur. Right. Which is a major artery runs through there. Like, I'll take a look at yeah. Like he, and then, like nothing happened, he blows up a, uh, outside of a pharmacy. That's right. That's and just goes in and grabs all the stuff that he needs. Right. So clearly Anton is the most unstoppable of that movie. Aldo is the most unstoppable because he. I like knows the way you tie these three in together. Yeah. He knows that he is the that he you know he's gonna get chewed out, and that's about it. But Aldo was gonna basically commit a terrorist attack to take out Hitler, which is fucking. I mean, you know, terrorism's kind of sad, shitty, but also it's Hitler. Like. Yeah, that's the I don't, point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fucking Hitler. Like, what are you gonna do? No, uh, all bets are off. That's and and Aldo, like, and I have no doubt They're like mind. scalping human beings but right. because they're Nazis. That's exactly. why they're good guys. That's so like... Right. But I believe Aldo would have died there had he not... If things had, had ended up in such a way that, you know, like for Donowitz and, mm-hmm. and Omar, um, you know, they don't even think about it in the moment. And I think Aldo would have had that kind of like... I think he had the resolve <clears throat> to where he would have stayed if he felt like the mission isn't going to be complete unless I stay. You know, so I feel like Aldo's unstoppable, and of course Daniel Plainview is just one of the most unstoppable characters in terms of just like ambition. So that's another thing these movies all have: characters who. Let's talk about that for a second. Like you have just to Anton, wrap that up, that that thought up real quick. This isn't all rhetoric. Literally, in all of those films, none of those three characters were stopped. Yeah. So you call them unstoppable. That's and they true. Seem unstoppable, but who won at the end? If you had to pick a winner, that's what I was just thinking about. Aldo wins. I think Aldo. Shiger. Gets hit by a car at the end. Yeah. After getting blasted in the leg and, you know, everything going on and him surviving. Right. Everybody dies in that movie. Ed Time lives, sure, but whatever. Yeah. He's but everybody involved with the man. plot. Yeah, Ed Time's not involved with the plot. Anybody who's involved with the gangsters dies. Even Jimmy James up in the office on floor whatever you call it. Because Carson dies. Anton literally Llewellyn kills dies. Him. You assume Llewellyn's girlfriend dies. The uh, Her mother dies because she's got cancer. Everybody yeah. dies. Right. Daniel dies alone. Anton, for all we know, Anton gets hit by a car at the very end of the movie. Sir, your bones sticking out of your arm. Right. He walks away. On, as as far as you're concerned, you know he's getting away. Yes. And then and then Daniel. And then Daniel, who Daniel's story is probably the saddest, which is maybe ultimately why I think it's the truest to life. Because Daniel, <clears throat> I mean, we can all connect with being like ambitious and wanting to see something through, and then eventually just. St- burning bridges, stepping over dead bodies, literally in Daniel's case. Yeah. Um, which is maybe why it's the truest to life in terms of like what it's going for. I, I mean, blo- uh, or, um, well, he uses people to sort of step over those dead bodies. That's true. Well, he but, kills uh, two people. But <laughs> for all intents and purposes, the movie is about Daniel and his son, and he and his son, you know, lets him go because Daniel's a piece of shit. Okay. But anyway, sorry. I got one. <laughs> yeah. Of those three movies. And again, God damn it! Inglorious Bastards stands aside. So I guess we can go back to the two. I think I may have even brought up two. Did I say does Inglorious Bastards not fit with these? I did. I texted you. I think it totally fits. I texted you, you and I was like, this movie does not fit with these other movies, and we keep singling it out because yeah, but it's too entertaining. I want to get into why I think it still deserves to be. Okay, we can go back to that. But I'm going to single it out again because when we saw, or when I saw, and I I, maybe you feel the same way, uh, Inglorious. no country and there will be blood. Yeah. 
what was your did first of all were you able to watch either of those two movies all the way through the first time you saw them yeah well i had well, to with no country we saw no country in the yeah. theater together so yes and then okay. blood we watched so, go ahead Okay, so let's assume you hadn't seen No Country in the theater. Do you think you would have been able to, been able to sit down and watch that movie all the way through in one shot the first time? I did it with There Will Be Blood, so I, I think I could. I did it with There Will Be Blood, and yeah. I've told you a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. It took me, and this is probably one of my top favorite, five favorite movies of all time. It took yeah. me like at least five times to, to, to even get to the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I think with th- that, I guess that's my question. Like, yeah. so no, so not for you. I don't think so, man. Okay. I don't, that's actually funny. And, and I, I have, I will sit down. I watched, I told you, I watched uh, 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 The Last Emperor last night all the way through. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that movie in 20 years. And I watched it from beginning to end, and it's a very slow movie. So yeah, but it's I, it's not that, I, that I'm incapable of enjoying a good slow burn, but yeah. it, it took me a while to kind of get into those movies. But they were so good, and I knew they were good. Yeah, it just took me a while to kind of piece it together. And I wonder, I was you, wondering if you kind of felt that same. Experience. You can tell between those two that they're so, and it's weird. Maybe sure, maybe society comes into it, but I think you can feel in the filmmaking. There's something so much bigger yeah. than just That's why I what that. you're seeing. Yeah. Um, but ironically, Bastards is the one that took me a couple of viewings okay. to really right, yeah, to bring that into it. Uh, it, took, because... it took me two. I the first time I, I watched the first scene. Yeah. I said this is cool, and then kind of mm-hmm. didn't watch it for a while, and then I watched it again, and I watched the whole thing all the way through, and yeah. I loved it ever since. Yeah. yeah, it took me a couple couple of viewings, um, but. I think part of that also is like, I, I f- remember being a little let down with No Country, but I think and, and Blood well, I, and Blood yeah. I liked, but I didn't know how much it was going to affect me later on. Did you, know? you not know why you liked it? You just I, I just knew from the moment I ever saw the first trailer for Blood in Mom and Dad's like uh, bedroom, like just watching the TV, like seeing the trailer on TV. I was like, mm. what the fuck is... Like, that just looks I don't looks think I saw insane. a trailer. I don't really? Appreci- no. I think I just went into it blindly, which I like to do. I don't I, I don't watch trailers. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, but anyway, yeah, Bastards, I think what it was was things are so built up for... Because you ask the layperson, um, and Tarantino's the most household name of all of them. You know? Yeah, yeah. Nobody knows who the fuck Paul Tom. I mean, people do now, but they still kind of don't. You know, well, Daniel Day Lewis is much. People know that's more sure. a household name than Paul Thomas Anderson. Right, but sure. even Daniel Day Lewis is not like for people who aren't into film. It's not like a name that everybody knows. You know, at least I don't think so. And that's um, funny as an Oscar winner, right? And yeah, like Tom to... Hanks have won like he, he's probably won less Oscars than Daniel Day Lewis. He has. Daniel Day's won the yes. most of all actors. Yeah, so... and he's like, how is he, how is he not famous? Right, the Oscars are televised on CBS or ABC or whatever the garbage television yeah i don't know but 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 yeah i think part of it is like in terms of yeah just like a director having draw and also just like my my like my gateway drug for movies was tarantino so i had like this expectation of everything i had seen in the first you know uh four movies if you count kill bill is one movie and if you forget four rooms so you didn't get into movies until you had seen maybe but with that yeah tarantino it's like so much was like built up with it which is great because he did step his game up, but I think I wasn't ready for that. 
You know, I think maybe a lot of audiences. Well, I don't know. I mean, it was a critically, it was like a clearly a very well received movie. It was nominated for a bunch of shit. Which one? Uh, Bastards. Did they win any awards? Uh, Christoph Waltz won for best, best supporting actor. And I feel like it might have won for like editing, maybe. I don't know. Was that Sally Menke's last movie? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I thought some of the editing editing was a little sloppy in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I thought the editing was tighter in. Uh, in Django. No, the last one. Oh really? Then Django, hmm. but not more tight than in Bastards. Gotcha. All right. Do you want to wrap up just talking about uh, wrap up thoughts or? Not really. Because I still want to talk about like <laughs> yeah, the score. Right, I want to talk about like the score. I want to talk about shit we should have talked about already. But can we can we do this and then wrap up? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There are some things that don't make sense to me. Oh yeah, yeah. Bad things. Yeah, no. <laughs> I also wanted to disagree more. Yes, I think we should fight a lot. We're, yeah. we're brothers. We should be arguing. Yeah, yeah. We've just kind of been sucking um, these movies' dicks lately. Yeah, I'm not, I don't want to do that. Um, okay, so why doesn't fucking Llewellyn, who I love, I want to love this character, <laughs> even though he dies, like... You want to love him even though he dies. I just, hate him because he dies. No, it just, no, it just sucks that, like... You want him to win. Yes. And he doesn't. And like No, not at all. He died like many I boys hate, before his time. I hate realizing that he does dumb things that lead to his demise. Yeah, well, he's got, I just he's want got him to pride, be, for sure. Well, I want... Yeah, I just want him to be, like, the hero. Yes. But he's... He makes a lot makes, of mistakes. Yeah. And so what do you think about, like, him... Why doesn't he realize there's a transponder in the back? I know, dude. Oh, Does that, that bother is, you? That yes. is what bothered me the most. Totally. Like okay. it took but, him so long. Anton was able to track him for so long. And yeah. I do find that to be a plot hole in the movie. I don't know if it's a plot. Maybe, but he also and it part, has a lot to do to, with how the plot unfolds. Totally. And to add to that, he also says when Carson asks him if he knows what a transponder is, he says he knows what a he transponder knows, he goes, is. Of course, I know what it is. Yeah. But but maybe but okay maybe something that could fuck up our because i agree that's always the most frustrating part of it but i also think like okay we're a 20 you know 2007 audience or 2021 now so he wouldn't have even thought so maybe about he that wouldn't in 1980 but when he says that it's like okay so like okay i don't know further to that how does he know it's two million dollars if he didn't go through the money mm. and if he went through the money he would have found the transponder very interesting yeah so th- that's a mess and I... that is one knock i have that on that movie does he know it's two million though do we know that? it's very clear that everybody knows it's two million isn't but it? does lou ellen says it say that he knows it's two million would you find a bag of money and not, and count, not it? count it immediately or at least get no, an estimate it. of what it was right or at least see that there's not even like I guess maybe they didn't have die packs back in the day, but like maybe if it was bank stolen money. I mean, they have die packs. If raising Arizona made nineteen eighty five or this is earlier. This is earlier. This is a little bit earlier, and this is out like in the middle of nowhere in Texas. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know. I guess, but that's yeah. That was kind of. I no that well, for what the sure fuck, like, is doesn't the make most, any sense thing to me. Yeah, by far the most frustrating part of that, and I really can't think of any. Yeah, Llewellyn, but I think part of it is his pride. He also, you know, he doesn't think Anton is, like, this big shit that everybody else thinks he is. It also doesn't make sense, yeah, and it also doesn't make sense that he goes back and, uh, after finding $2 million, goes back to the crime scene. Right. 
He yes. didn't commit the crime. Right. He walked away scot-free. Right. He should have gotten him and his wife out of there as soon as possible right. and hit the fucking road. Yeah, a modern Nobody person, would have found him. A modern person would dump the money out. But also part of the reason a modern person would do that is because they watch No Country for Old Men. <laughs> and they would be like, oh shit, there might be a transponder in this bag. I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> because what a, there's so many guy finds it, or people find a bag full of money type movies. And I guess they don't do that, but I don't know if they run into transponders. Anyway, no, that is aggravating, and I can't think of any uh, justification for it. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's a, that's what, one, what, one miss in that yeah. whole movie, yeah. What's another... It's just, right. It never made sense to me, and I just don't get it. Yeah, now I'm trying to think of, like, other misses. Like, uh, okay. do you have them in notes? Cause... <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Uh... Not really. It's all no, no control. <laughs> Everything it's all is no, no country, country notes. All right, so I do have odd notes. Okay, yeah. Let's and this is still no country for old men. All but right. we'll stand. All right, so the amount of hotels in no country for old men. Dude, Every yeah. scene revolves around a hotel scene, which totally. is in- interesting. It kind of makes sense because they're on the road and they yeah. need somewhere to stay. Right. And I guess they don't know people around, yeah. so they end up at hotels. But did you notice how many hotels what? are in Dude, that movie? Dude, totally, yeah. Every, it's like the sun ray, the, the whatever you call it motel. Yeah, like, there's okay. Uh, even when Carson comes to the hospital, he's like, yeah, I'm in this hotel across the river. But dude, okay. Um, two of the, the killing scenes happen at the same hotel. Did you realize that? No, what? So Carson where dying. Carson gets killed? So I never realized that's that. That's the same hotel as the one that um, Llewellyn escapes from the first time he meets Shigur. But are we positive of that? Because I heard that. I like, think, no, I think it's brought up in the movie. I heard it like two days ago for the first time ever. It, ne- it had never dawned on me. How does it get brought up? Do you remember? Because I believe it, but I don't remember it getting brought up. Uh, here it is. Um, I have the quote. It was, okay, so after Llewellyn dies in another hotel. Gets shot. After Llewellyn gets shot in another hotel. Right. Before the end of the movie. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... You said after Llewellyn dies in a hotel. Which he does. Uh, okay, all right. Go ahead. I, so well, after I he dies. Much. Yep, okay, yep. In the, when he dies, the local department, the local police department meets with Ed Tom because he comes right after Llewellyn dies. Yes. And the local sheriff goes to a diner with Llewellyn. Yes. Or with, uh, with Ed, Ed Tom. Tom. yeah. And they have a discussion, and the local sheriff says... He shoots a desk clerk one day, he walks right back in the next and shoots a retired army, army colonel. I never realized... He walks right back in the next day and shoots a retired army colonel. Wow. The retired army colonel is Woody Harrelson. Carson. I never, ever... So that's that what way. put it together for me that it's the wow. same hotel. Yeah. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. So the desk clerk was the guy that he said, if any swinging dick walks in here. Yeah. Yeah. So I never put that together. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. I, yeah, I never did either until I started actually I cannot believe the shit I'm seeing. Yeah. Numbers and dates and hotel rooms and Just shit. the raw shit, man. <laughs> That's funny. So okay. yeah. So I, I, I always heard that and I never knew what to make of it. Mm-hmm. So I always knew the line was there. I but never I, put that together. Yeah. And I never put it together. Right. And then I realized, shoots the desk clerk, walks... Because they're talking about, oh, well, now there's girls walking around with bones in their nose. And right. 
he walks in one day and shoots a right. desk clerk and walks back the other day and shoots a retired army colonel. Right. That was the, yeah. Damn. So that's how I knew that they were in the same... I never put that together, man. I, I had heard so, that. So Carson was, went back to that same hotel. Same hotel, right. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the movie, Ed Tom goes back to the motel yeah. room where Llewellyn died. Yeah, yeah, And he looks... He's looking. He has his gun drawn. He's looking mm-hmm. at the where the the uh, door handle has been mm-hmm. blown out. We know, obviously, the what lock. the deal is. Right. He's looking at the lock. Mm-hmm. You see a reflection mm-hmm. of Anton's face, and clearly that's from Ed Tom's point of view. Mm-hmm. What do you think that is? I think? never noticed that actually. Really? I thought, what I've seen is there's a f- through the keyhole that's blown out. Yeah. There's light that's coming in from Ed Tom's. Or I'm sorry, from Shiger's point of view, being inside the hotel. Yes. But doesn't Ed Tom walk in and there's nobody in that's there? That's what I'm saying. You see Shiger. Okay, sure. You see Shiger, but also, dude. Seriously, I can even pull it up right now. You see a reflection of Shiger in... I've never seen that. In the the metal of the lock, you yeah. see so Shiger's face. That's what it Shiger. looks like. And then obviously Tommy Lee walks in and nobody's there. Which means, I would assume... Which means Shiger is Llewellyn! <laughs> right, yeah. And he's I knew the it. spirit of Llewellyn. <laughs> no, I think he must just be... It just must be part of Tommy Lee Jones's. I think we're supposed to be in Tommy Lee Jones's head at that point. So when we see objectively, he knows he was there. Yes, when we objectively but he also see, finds, he also finds the grate. Yes, he finds the grate. So we and the, and the door knob is blown. The lock has been blown out. Sure, so yeah. we're, we know for sure. We know that he knows the guy was there. And also, when I first saw this movie, I didn't realize what the hell. And it's fair, it's so obvious now. No, you have to but watch like, this When movie. he looks at the grate and he sees that it's... Like, I didn't realize, oh, oh, Sugar ended up with the money. Yeah. You know? Um, but Ed Tom also, he doesn't completely know what to make of it. All right, do you want to wrap... Do you want to try to wrap it up? All right, top top three, I guess. Or, or how would you rank them? Because I know... I mean, I, I think you... I know what your rankings are. You're... I'm going to guess No Country, Blood, Bastards. Yeah. Yeah. Blood, no country, bastards for me. Yeah. But I do want to end on this note. I think bastards belongs in the conversation. Okay, when you're talking about movies and films, this is the way I break it down. Like, I think movies are art imitating art. Like, movies are usually imitating other movies. That's why they're movies. Like, they have tropes. And we know generally, you know... Hence where... Quentin Tarantino and... His whole career. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, he makes films out of movie tropes. Yeah. And that's what the Coens did with uh, with No Country. PTA's movie is the ultimate. Like, of the three of these, PTA's is the film of the three. Yeah. <clears throat> as much as I like that no we country, agree that's the best movie. Oh, oh, I thought you said No Country was your favorite. Oh, it's my favorite, but it's not the best. But it's not the best, like, film film. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I think, I think Blood is the most filmy. I think Country still maintains film status, not only because it's made by people who are fucking masters of the craft, but also, again, it takes genre elements which movies are movies but like genre movies are even more i mean i guess every quote movie feels like it's its own kind of it's it's part of like being you know like the difference between like a film and a genre film is right Mm -hmm. like tropes yeah you know um that's such a shitty way to put it but but yeah but what the coens did the fact that they could take something that's been 
done it, 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 done and make like a film out of it. By not just With original characters. That's though, the thing. Like, I was just gonna say by not only and, subverting story expectations, yeah, but bringing original characters, obviously slick as fuck dialogue, and kind of and original. high levels of suspense because yes. everybody loves a, a suspense movie yeah. that's done well. Even Iron Man has suspense. Like the yeah. Avengers movies have suspense. Right. Pixar movies have suspense. But when it's boiled down to just, like, two people talking in a room, that's when you know you got something good. And also structure with these movies. And this is something the Coens are particularly good at. Like, the way they structure uh, No Country for Old Men is very similar to the way they structured Fargo. You see all of the setup in Act 1, and you see all the bad shit happening, Mm. and, you know, you got this player over here, and this player over here chasing this player over here, whatever it is. But there's still an element of mystery yes. behind what their motives are. And Francis McDormand isn't introduced until a third into the movie. Mm-hmm. And Ed Tom Bell isn't introduced until a third into the movie. So the Coens have used that before, but applying it to this context of this neo-Western. And again, a story that they, you know, it's already a novel. And I don't know how the novel's structured. So maybe they just ripped it off of the novel. I'm not sure. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I don't, no, because, because writing I don't a book, watch novels. I watch movies. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> writing a book is very different from writing a movie. And in fact, Corbin McCarthy has, has written movies and they kind of suck. Okay. So the Coens are special. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I still think Bastards belongs in the conversation because, because Tarantino is able, in a similar way, he's able to rip off of... And it's not just... It's, you know... It's not like any idiot can go in and be like, oh, I like this, 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 and this. I mean, you look at any person who's trying to copy Tarantino, and they all kind of suck. Well, even Eli Roth movies suck. Yes. But they're good in their own right. Sure, but uh... but there's that asterisk of in their own right, where Tarantino (laughs) universally... They're really genre movies. I would say, again, to the layperson, Tarantino's a household name for a reason. It's because he can bring things that are not like... Like, for the everyday person, and, like, he can, I don't know, he can, like, use things that are in older movies and bring them to a fresh audience, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But, yeah, I think he belongs because of that, and I think he belongs because he also structures his movies in a way that's very, very, very satisfying, you know? Where does this movie fall short with the other two? Make it. You're going to put that on me right now? (laughs) For me, I just, I feel like it always has something about it that's different, which is good. Yeah. Like, it doesn't need to be a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Yeah, but I think... But I think I think it just doesn't fit in the context of the other two movies. I think just the fact that they're set as like westerns, it kind of like I don't want to say yeah. Django would fit more. But but Tarantino is the one who's most clearly ripping off of spaghetti westerns, which is true yeah, to Tarantino. This is but he hasn't done a real spaghetti western. And if you want to talk about one of them, it would be uh, no, it would be uh, Hateful Eight. Yeah, yeah. Django's its own thing. Django's awesome in its own right. Yeah. And it almost gets there, but it's not. It still doesn't fit that Western vibe, and that's what these... These well, are, like, neo-Westerns. And also, and ultimately... that's why, like... So, I, I'm glad we talked about that movie with these movies, because I feel the same way as you. Yeah. But I do want to single it out as not being... I agree. I think it's, it's like, the little it's, brother it's, of, of the other two. It's not even that. It's just, like, it kind of doesn't fit. Like, it's just... It's not the right... Uh, well, adopted 
Yeah. <laughs> I think the last thing, and the, okay, this truly is the end of it. I think part of that is Tarantino movies, again, are about Tarantino. And PTA's movies are about the characters. Yeah. And the Cohen movies, or at least, let's just talk about these movies. Because Blood is about Daniel Plainview, and because the Cohen's movie, uh, No Country, is about the themes and Ed Tom ultimately, which is what the themes are about, even though Ed Tom is much more passive than Daniel. Bastards is all over the place. And that's fine. I, okay, and, so. And Tarantino takes a paintbrush and dips it in and just fucking flings the paint. And that's cool, and I love it. I hope. I, this isn't. I, I feel like this is just turning into shitting on Tarantino. But I, I totally agree. But I'm trying to figure out why that is. I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> Tarantino reaches. And I think okay. he kind of does it with. with once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he reaches for something a little more sentimental, but his indulgence can't let him get to that point. The tough thing about Bastards, though, is it's not like a war movie. You know? About the, it's, Hitler is in it. Right, but it's not like... How a, many movies are Hitler... It, it's Hitler, Hitler like, where Hitler's in it? Yeah, I Yeah, know. it's like... Alright, alright, we do have to wrap this up, though. So... <laughs> Are we still recording? Yeah. Do you want to just say bye? Yeah. Isn't that a good wrap up? Like, yeah. All right. Start talking about other shit. All right. Well, at this point, we've been talking about other movies and why maybe one of these movies, I'm not going to name any names, shouldn't have been in this podcast, but we'll return in another episode or, or not. I mean, it's not that great. Okay, yeah. It's, it's pretty put, great. If, if we look at this and piece it back together and it stinks, we're never doing this again. Yeah. This is the last time or it's the first time of a bunch. Uh, and we'll talk about the, the bastards a whole bunch more and the other ones a lot more. But this is it. This is the whole thing. Uh, if you're listening, which you might probably aren't. aren't <laughs> Don't sell uh, ourselves short. If you're still listening. People might listen to this. If you're still listening, thank you. And uh, we will. you'll hear our voices and hopefully see our faces in the next one. And that is it. I don't think there's any video going on right now. <laughs> Bye.